We're coming now to the week leading up to Easter, and I would like to be speaking today on a subject that I'm going to do as a two-parter. I'm going to do it this week, and I'm going to do it next week, and it's on the truth of the resurrection. And this is part one, which is convincing evidence for truth, the truth above all truths. And my goal today is to begin to see how secure our foundation truly is as Christians. We're going to do three things, and we're going to start off by looking at how this truth surpasses all other truths in importance. We're going to then look at the evidence that Jesus really died, and we're going to end up with showing the resurrection was central to Christianity right from the start and is for us. And the first of those points is going to be the biggest. The others are not quite so long. Just a heads up in case you, you know, you're worried about how long it's taking to get through. We're, we're going to be spending most of the time in the first one. But I want to start off by showing you a, a video of a man called Gary Habermas who was going through a process in his life where he had doubts. And we're going to just uh, show this because uh, he, it's a very, it's a very, I think, important and helpful. And I'm going to be quoting him in the future as we go through this message. What more important topic is there? I'll tell you how I came to this topic. I was raised in a, a German Baptist home, godly parents, but I went through a horrendous 10-year straight period of doubt, and then for intermittently several years after that. But my life was controlled by two things in those days, sports and doubt. I played a lot of football, a lot of hockey. I'm from Michigan, from Detroit. And, you know, when it gets dark, sports are kind of over for the day. And I would get my books out and say, where did I leave off the night before? And I would study till, not my schoolwork, I would study till one or two in the morning, trying to answer my questions. And then I would get up at six o'clock the next morning to go to my classes. And uh, I was very, very tired from staying up so late. But I just had this drive to answer these questions. But there was one topic, and I realized from the very beginning, once again, if Jesus was the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins, rose again from the dead, that alone could bear the weight of the truthfulness of Christianity. And it was right there I decided, well, I'm studying this and nothing else. Because I want to study something for which the results are really going to make a difference for the rest of my life. So what? I mean, I don't, I think you folks will take me the right way, but so what if I can prove Moses exists? If I can't answer my doubts or show Christianity is true or show the gospel is true, or I mean, I've got this little tiny piece of it over here, but, but what good does that do for me when I know, when I ask these tough questions about, is there anything after death? Moses, Moses living doesn't really help me there, you know? So I settled on the resurrection. And I culminated this period of doubt by writing my doctoral dissertation on the resurrection at a secular university, Michigan State University. So I wrote it for people who 
As far as I could tell, a couple people on my committee believed in the resurrection, and a couple surely didn't. One was an agnostic. Another one was a Jewish professor of history, and they were on my committee. And I thought, if, if I can get this past them and give reasons, that I think I'm on pretty good grounds. As long as we're sure that Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead, Christianity follows. Christianity is true, if those things are true. He decided then, in order to really settle once and for all um, his, the question of his faith, um, he would do a PhD on the evidence for the resurrection, which he did at a secular university, and he managed to get this accepted by non-believing uh, scholars, and that, that there was such strong evidence for the resurrection. Well, it, he's actually dedicated his life to giving... Um, to speaking on this, and he's a university professor now, and you can find lots of his stuff out there. And in preparing for today and next week, I found um, a 30-lecture course, video course, from him, which um, which I went through, and um, I was so excited. I want to tell you, like, just hearing it. Now, I wasn't doubting. I don't, I'm not doubting, but to see how firm my foundation is in Jesus. And I almost felt like I met him through this study. Like, And it, I was so excited at actually engaging, like, Jesus is great. How wonderful this truth is, just to study it. And I hope to communicate some of that to you today and next week as I'm doing it. Because like, if you're really sure about this, nothing else matters. This is the ultimate truth that, that, that really is is true. And so, uh, I, and I want to tell you, if, if any of you are interested, I can lend you the series of lectures. It's about 10 hours to get through it all. But, you know, I, I've got it on audio as well if you're interested. So just let me know if you're interested in following through this material. Um, so uh, what I want to say then, to start off with, is to say that a core part of every single gospel message in the book of Acts is the resurrection. And um, he, uh, he did his dissertation on the resurrection. I did my dissertation on gospel preaching in the book of Acts because I wanted to know what, what really is the gospel. And I found that the gospel is you killed Jesus. Jesus died. God raised him from the dead. Um, and therefore, you need to respond and turn to him. And that basically is the gospel preaching, whether it's Peter or Paul or anyone else in the book of Acts. And so key to it, the idea really is that, um, you know, God is, is the judge and you tried him and uh, found him guilty. But then when it comes to the courtroom of heaven, God comes along and unlocks, walks down, there's the prisoner, unlocks him and sets him free. And God is saying, like, he's free from the grave. You may have killed him, but I'm going to set him free because God basically vindicated Jesus and said, there's nothing, there's nothing that's holding him down. And that was like, this is the message from the book of Acts. So here's another one in Acts 15, which is a little longer, but is very powerful. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Do you, do you agree with that? Like, if Jesus hadn't been raised, what's the point? Because we're not going to be raised. 
You know, when you die, that's it. If it was for Jesus, it's the same for us. So what's the point in doing anything in your life any different? You know, if, if there's no resurrection. Also, if we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead, when in reality he didn't raise him, if indeed the dead are not raised... For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you're still in your sin. Because there's no evidence that Jesus paid the price for our sin if he wasn't raised. So actually, you see so much is packed into that truth. Furthermore, those who've fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. You know, once you die, that's it. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. See how much flows from the resurrection. And um, see in verse 17, it talks about you know your sin. That's in there as well. Everything is in there in the resurrection. So I also want to say that this truth beats all other evidence. Uh, there, it's, it's just so much more important. See, Jesus claimed to be the unique son of the creator and ruler of the universe. You know, you just read the gospels, you read what Jesus claimed, that he was unique son of the father. And now, what was the ruler of the universe going to do about that? You know, if this is, when he was killed, he was recreated by the father. He was brought back to life by the father. So that is evidence like that what he said was true. The father is saying, yes, everything that he said was true. So if you like, it's not just a being raised from the dead, but it's a stamp of approval from the father that every claim that Jesus made was true. All his claims were true. So every other piece of evidence is smaller compared with this one about Jesus. His claims must be true. Because what better substantiation can you get? Like what better witness? You know if you have a legal document, sometimes you have to get it like approved by a lawyer and you know they just put a stamp on it and they sign it and so on. Like and it's stamped, it's approved, it's sealed. Well this is the ultimate stamp of authority, of approval, of Jesus being the truth. When the God, the ruler of the universe, who of course Jesus is equal with, but he's the ruler of the universe, stamps his approval by raising him from the dead. So um, what? So I want to move on now to what Gary Habermas did in his his evidence for for the resurrection. And I think it's very compelling. I find it personally very compelling. Now, I'm going to try and condense... 30 lectures into two short sermons. So bear in mind it where I won't have all the evidence, but I'm going to try and give you some of the ideas. So what he does is he says he's, he, what he call, he's got what he calls um, the minimal facts argument. And the argument is that rather than looking at hundreds of pieces of evidence for the resurrection, and there are like a huge amount of evidence, let's take the strongest and clearest ones and you can take it down to maybe four or five really like crucial arguments that are easiest to prove. 
And if those are true, then the resurrection is true. Actually, you can take some really, really solid things that, that it's very hard for people to disagree with. And if you can just prove those, then you've done it. And he comes down, he gives five what he calls minimal facts, provable facts. And the first is the death of Jesus by crucifixion. Jesus really died by crucifixion. And I'm going to come back to that. It's one of the things I'm going to look at today. He's going to look at after his death, his disciples had experiences that they believed were appearances. They believed were appearances of the risen Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that these things here, um, I'm putting these facts, are agreed upon by most non-Christian historians. Most non-Christian historians. So that's why we don't say that they really saw Jesus. We say they believed they saw Jesus. And most people will agree. Yeah, yeah, certainly the disciples thought they saw Jesus. So this is the fact that, that he's growing up. An eminent scholar named Saul of Tarsus had an experience that he believed to be an appearance of the risen Jesus. Yeah, historians will agree on that. There was early proclamation of the resurrection, very, very early proclamation of the resurrection. And he's going to show that you can prove that historically. And the last one is the resurrection was, in fact, the central proclamation of the early church. It was right in the middle. There wasn't something added on later in the Middle Ages or something like that. Like it goes right back to the very early times. So those basic provable facts. And... For each of these facts, he says, for something to make it to the list of five, I need two things. First, I need not just one argument for it to prove it. I need multiple different arguments from different sources. I need many different things that come together to support this argument. The second thing is, I want the vast majority of scholars who are not Christians to agree that this is actually true. And uh, he said, I'd like to have 90% of scholars out there agreeing that this is true to get it onto this list. This is not Christians, this is, this is scholars, which is quite amazing. Um, and he said, um, uh, and if, if, not, if that many people don't agree, I won't put it on this list. So, for example, the first one, Jesus' death by crucifixion, um, you take the three best-known anti-Christian skeptics in the world, the three people who, like, debate against Christianity, against you know, what we believe as Christianity, and they would be Bart Ehrman, John Dominic Crossman, and Marcus Borg. You're forgiven if you haven't heard those names, but in like in academic circles, they're well-known. And all of those agree on this first point. They all agree. Yes, Jesus died by crucifixion. So that's that's an important point. The second thing is there must be good historical evidence. And good historical evidence means multiple sources that attest to it. Um, clear evidence that one source didn't come from another, but they're actually independent. And it's even better if the sources say embarrassing things about themselves. So, for example, in John, the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times kind of gives you a bit more weight to that source because like, it wouldn't have been manufactured to make the church look good because it's embarrassing. Another thing, very embarrassing, James, who became the leader of the church of Jerusalem, he was Jesus' brother, actually didn't believe Jesus in, in the Gospels. 
He was very anti-Jesus in the Gospels, you know, one of the, the Jesus brothers. And uh, so that, you know, that's, that's, so that's evidence, that's something you add on to, it's a good, it's a good thing to have that kind of thing as evidence that it's, that it's true. Another one, another piece of evidence is that it comes from the enemies of Christianity. So if something comes from the enemies of Christianity, so um, if, if somebody, um, if somebody says about, about Mark, he says, supposing Mark's got an enemy, he hates Mark, but he says, you know, I have to admit he's a good runner. I have to admit. So you take that seriously because, you know, he's, he's not looking for nice things to say about Mark, but he has to admit that. Um, so, uh, so what you would get is a Roman and Jewish historians, um, who wrote at that time about what Christians believed. And they're saying things, and they're against Christianity. They're saying things that support this kind of argument. So that is, um, so that's, that's my first point then, um, that this is the truth that surpasses all other truth in importance, and we can get a very good level of confidence in its truth. So I'm going to take two of those things that are on that list this week, the first one was that Jesus really died. And I'm giving you very, very quick summaries here. And as I said, you know, you're welcome to, to, to get more information on this. Um, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm willing to lend it to you if you're interested. But um, Jesus really died. Um, are we going to look at now? Virtually unanimous agreement on the death of Jesus from unbelieving scholars. Um, in historians. So Bart Ehrman, who is one of the you know, main, um, main anti-Christian writers, uh, he wrote a book called Did Jesus Exist? The Historical Argument for Jesus of Nazareth, wrote in 2012. And in this book, he says, this is a quote, skeptics who are not trained might doubt that Jesus died on the cross. It is as well established as any fact in the ancient world. You know, any fact that there was a city called Rome, you know, or that there were ancient Greeks or something like that. You know, the basic facts, the pyramids, uh, well, I guess pyramids are still here today, but, you know, there were pharaohs or something like that. The very basic facts that everybody agrees. He says it's as well established as that. And he lists 11 independent sources, that's independent sources for Jesus' death by crucifixion. Um, so then we go to the two other best-known anti-Christian biblical scholars. I put that in quotes because they might claim to be in some sort of way Christian, but like they don't believe what we believe by being Christian. They just they don't believe like in the supernatural. Uh, but anyway, so these people, um, John Dominic Crossman, um, he says claims that the death of Jesus is as well attested as any, as well established as any fact. And then Marcus Borg says, claims the fact, he claims the fact that Jesus died as a political rebel is well established. So these are quotes from them. So it's important that we believe that Jesus actually died. And you may have heard that um, there are some people who believe in what's called the swoon theory. You know, he didn't quite die. You know, he, he, they pulled him down to the grass. They discovered, oh, 
he's still actually alive and he came back again. And the trouble is that once you start looking into the possibility of the swoon theory, it is the most ridiculous thing out there. The first thing is that the Romans were very proficient at killing people. They were extremely good at crucifixion. They didn't make mistakes. Um, the second thing is there's not a, histor- a single historical example of every anybody surviving a crucifixion, like a, a proper... In fact, there's one example of somebody who was... Uh, Josephus had three friends and because of something that he didn't get there in time um, they were they were put up on crosses before he could uh, he could stop it and uh, these three friends they didn't know they were friends of Josephus and he got them taken down even with that short time on the cross two of them died because it, it, it begins to, to damage somebody so quickly. I mean, there's lots more evidence. People have done all kinds of, of experiments and uh, just not good experiments. But like one where there was a, um, a guy asked for volunteers and he tied them up on, on rope with their consent. And basically they passed out after 14 minutes on average. Um, but the, the worst thing is they found that um, the, the damage that you get from crucifixion is basically irreversible. Like from very soon, you begin to get irreversible damage. Um, and so uh, the, uh, so, but you think of it, even if you know, after all that time on the cross, Jesus somehow comes back to life again, he's, he, like, he's a deathly sick man. Can you imagine him appearing to the disciples, sort of crawls in and croaks, you know, I'm alive. And they're going to say, oh, raised from the dead. I don't think so. They're going to try and nurse him back. Like, there's not going to be any... It's going to be pretty obvious. There's not going to be this, like, huge, yeah, he's come back from the dead um, idea. So the swoon theory just doesn't hold any water. And it's basically historians. There's no historians that that believe that. Um, So... uh, so that was the, that's my second point. We've talked about how important this truth is. The question about re, did Jesus really die? And I want to end quite simply by looking at how the resurrection was central to Christianity right from the start. And it's central for us. And I want to end on this point because I feel that this, this warms my heart. Is this just like some of the verses? Just, just, just give me this sense of, yeah, my Jesus, it's so wonderful that he's raised. And I will meet him and I will be raised. And it's such an exciting truth. And I want to kind of capture some of that as we come to this last point. Uh, one other question is some people say, well, it was kind of a fake resurrection because the disciples stole the body. And you know what? If somebody says that, that's the easiest of all arguments to deal with. <clears throat> um, Ma, uh, Gary Habermas said if he's in a debate and the other person says the disciples stole the body, like he's really pleased because they've basically given the debate away because it's such an easy one. Because basically, um, uh, the, um, the, the, the main reason the majority of skeptics reject this theory is because the disciples could not have both stolen the body of Jesus and sincerely preached this message. And in fact, almost all of them gave their lives for the truth of the resurrection. Can you imagine, like, giving their life, dying gladly for Jesus when you know you faked it right from the beginning? The whole thing is a lie. 
It's ridiculous. Like a movement like that couldn't grow if all the founders of it knew that it was based on a lie. It was a fraud. And so the you know the idea that they stole it and then based it on the resurrection is just just ridiculous. Um, so the resurrection was the centre of their beliefs, and it's the centre of ours. And there's very strong evidence that I'll go into next week that Paul visited Cor- the. Corinth. He visited the Corinthians within 20 years of the death of Jesus. And I'll show you the, it's quite neat how you can, how you can show this. Um, but if we work out the timeline with this, we get the death of Jesus around 30, 31 AD. Um, and we can really quite precisely define that from historical, historical connections. Um, we can pretty much tie Paul's visit to Corinth, his first visit, 51 to 52 AD. And, and I'll show you next week how that works. But um, th- so this means that within um, 20 years, uh, you are getting Paul visiting Corinth. And around 55, he writes First Corinthians and says, this is what I said to you when I visited. This is what I said to you. And when he visited them, basically, he taught them about the resurrection and he outlines to them, and we read the verses earlier, some of the verses that he read, he gave to them about the resurrection, how central it was. <laughs> um, so, so it's right from the beginning, the resurrection was right at the core. Now, this is the, I, there's one more idea I want to give you, and this is the one I want to end with. Uh, we, we know now, from a historical research that most people weren't, hadn't been taught to read and write in those times. The average literacy was around 10%. So you have 90% of people um, who don't read and write in those times. Now, if this is the case, then you have to be able to remember things. So you have to teach things in a way that people can memorize easily because it's an oral system. And so because of that, what they would do is they would formulate like what it means, like the core truths of Christianity in kind of very compact sayings, which we nowadays might call creeds. They are like formulated um, summaries of Christianity. And we get a number of these in the New Testament. And I want to suggest to you that these are not just useful for them, but actually they're really, really good for us as well because they condense things right down. And I'm going to end now with three of these. And the first one is in 1 Timothy 3.16. You've heard of 2 Timothy 3.16. Well, there's a 1 Timothy 3.16 as well. And here it is. Um, Beyond all question... The mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And then here we have it. Here we have this summary. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up into glory. It's got a kind of rhythm to it that you could memorize. Vindicated is the legal statement that, you know, he wasn't just raised from the dead, but like it was God through his spirit saying, no, he is, everything he said is right. He is right. And so here we have something really, really early that's core to the church. They're expressing what's in their heart to be a believer. This is our Jesus. Our Jesus appeared in the flesh, 
visit, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached to the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. And so this is something that we can take and say, yeah, this is Christianity. This is Christianity in a nutshell. And here's the second one I've got for you. And uh, this is 2 Timothy 2.11. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he'll disown us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. So there you go. If you died with him, we died with him. We all live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. And so this is, this is a core to our belief that, you know, you're, if you're trusting in Jesus, your resurrection is as sure as his is. And we know he was raised from the dead. We can be absolutely sure there's such good evidence. That's how strong your faith can be in your own eternal life. Death is not the end. You are going to live forever if you're trusting Jesus. And I want to end with this wonderful verse in Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? That just really deeply touches me just to read this here. And I want it to touch you as well. That like, you'll be saved. You'll be raised from the dead. You will spend eternity with your glorious Lord who's died for you. And that is certain. That is rock solid. It will happen. And if somebody here is either here in the room or or watching on the internet is not a follower of Jesus, or you're not sure about this. Here is a a verse that can give certainty. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, say, I believe this is true. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And notice that's all that he's putting in there because he's summarizing the core truth there because that implies, you know, that he died and implies that he is... His teaching was true because God raised him from the dead. And his teaching was, I can save you from your sins. But it's all come up in that one phrase, God's raised him from the dead. What this verse is saying is believe that in your heart and you'll be saved. You don't have to do some amazing work. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to work hard enough. You don't have to do this and that. This is what you have to do. Believe this in your heart and you'll be saved. And so I want to challenge you. You believe this in your heart, then you will spend eternity with Jesus and nothing can be surer than that. Nothing can have stronger foundations than that. Next week, I'm going to show you that, you know, things that people that we think are strong figures of history. You know, we know that, um, you know, the third emperor of the Roman Empire was, was called such and such. You know, there's more evidence for Jesus than that. There's more evidence for Jesus than most of what you read in your history books. It's so strong. Some of the evidence we have in our history books, you look, well, there's only actually one account which came several hundred years later. Alexander the Great. Yeah, well, you know, we, we everybody believes in him, but like the evidence for Jesus is ten times stronger than for him. And so I want, I'm telling you this because I want you to feel the solidity of this right now. I want you to walk out of here right now with your hope so strong. I am going to spend eternity with Jesus. That is unshakable. He is my joy. He has done this for me. He loves me. And because he loves me, he died. He's risen from the dead. 
and we are united for eternity. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you. We just want to thank you that you came to us in our lostness. You gave your life so that we could be free and you're raised from the dead so that we can join you in eternity forever. Lord, we pray that you would fill each one of us here with this joy and with this certainty and with this encouragement that when we see the troubles around us in our lives, to see this is just for a moment, but we have an eternity that is so certain. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We praise you and we will praise you forever.